You're listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Last week we concluded our uh, Sunday morning series, Going Bold. Now that doesn't mean that you should stop going bold. Uh, in fact, this is a great time of year, a great season uh, to do just that, to go bold with your faith. And uh, people seem to be a, a bit more responsive, a bit more receptive to uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, during this time of year, although we uh, see that uh, changing some. In fact, uh, we live in a crazy, politically correct age. Uh, and as much as anything uh, has been greatly affected by political correct- correctness, uh, Christmas certainly has. Christmas and the way that we celebrate Christmas as, as a society, as a, as a nation particularly, has changed dramatically because of the political correctness in our day. And so those of you who know me well know that I'm really concerned about political correctness, right? I, I also have the gift of sarcasm, okay? So let me just... Uh, I, I, I did want to be the first to wish you a politically correct Christmas, okay? And so I've worked this up. I I wanted to share it with you this morning with a little help from some of my friends. So here we go. Best wishes for an environmentally conscious, socially responsible, low-stress, non-addictive, gender-neutral winter solstice holiday practiced within the most joyous traditions of the religious persuasion of your choice, but with respect for the religious persuasion of others who choose to practice their own religion as well as those who choose not to practice a religion at all. Additionally, a fiscally successful, personally fulfilling, and medically uncomplicated recognition of the generally accepted calendar year 2014, but not without due respect for the calendars of choice of other cultures whose contributions have helped make our society great without regard to race, creed, color, religion, or sexual preference. There you go. In other words, Merry Christmas. Now, you take many of the uh, traditional, familiar Christmas songs that we love to sing, and since, uh, of course, the word Christmas is exclusive to Christians, uh, it it has to be removed, uh, at least in some circles. Uh, And since it cannot be replaced with the word holiday, which uh, is a form of holy day, uh, then it has to be replaced with the phrase day off. Okay, so uh, therefore, uh, the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas... Uh, will have to be changed to, we wish you a merry, non-religious, specific day off in winter. Uh, How ridiculous is that? Uh, Since we can't let any covert references to race be interjected, then uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Uh, Should be, I sensed, uh, no, 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 I'm dreaming of a race immaterial, non-religious, specific day off in winter. can Can you just, if we really follow the thinking of some people in our society today, how crazy Things would actually be, uh, you, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, it, it may not be politically correct to put Christ in Christmas, but let me say this to you. There is no Christmas apart from Christ. There is no Christmas apart from Christ. There just isn't. Now, there may be some form of celebration. There may be parties. There may be eating and decorations and all of those things. But there is no true Christmas apart from Christ. He is truly the reason for the season. And so our new Sunday morning series for the next few weeks is called Vintage Christmas. 
We're talking old school, all right? We're talking old school. We were listening to some Christmas music yesterday, and there were some songs that came on that just conjured up beautiful memories from my childhood. I mean, of Gene Autry singing, you know, about Rudolph and and some of those things. And and even though those are secular songs, I mean, it was just, it was vintage for me. I mean, to hear some of those songs again, songs that I heard back when I was just a kid. Vintage Christmas. In John chapter 1, verse number 14, we have what I believe in one sentence is what Christmas is all about. In fact, it's really in five words. In five words. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh. That's Christmas. That's Christmas in five words. And the Word was made flesh. I I, I don't know of a single statement that better sums up the meaning of Christmas than the Word was made flesh. Now today I want us to actually backtrack just a bit to the Word before He became flesh. Don't mistakenly think that Jesus began when He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus got His start. See, we need to clarify, I guess, who the Word is. When John said that the Word was made flesh, he's making it very clear that the Word is Jesus Christ. The Word is actually a title that is exclusive to the writings of the Apostle John. And the title comes from the Greek word logos, which means to say something. The word speaks of communicating something. The the idea is that Jesus communicates to us or reveals the Father to us. Uh, We read in John chapter 1, verse 18, a little later in this same chapter, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. That's why the child was correct when he said Jesus is like God with clothes on. That's exactly right. Jesus is the great revelation of the Father. No one has ever seen God directly, but in Jesus we see the Father. God made flesh. God incarnate. You just heard it sung. Emmanuel, God with us. And as we look at the Word becoming flesh, I want us to see what John has to say about the Word before He became flesh. And so let's turn our attention to the first verse of John chapter 1. You'll notice that it is strikingly similar to the first few words of Scripture itself. The book of Genesis starts with the same three words. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. I want you to notice first this morning that the Word is God. The Word is God. Uh, Notice again what John says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. One of the greatest statements in Scripture concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a clear and definite declaration that Jesus is God. And one of the great tenets of our faith as Bible believing Christians is the deity of Jesus Christ. 
Whenever I talk to uh, prospective members uh, of First Queen City, I, one of the things that I explain is, is the way that we view uh, biblical doctrine and we view theology. There are some things that we hold in an open hand. There are some things about which we might find some disagreement. Uh, in, as an example, the, the timing of the Lord's return and, and some of those sorts of things related to eschatology. There are some matters that, that we can hold open-handed. And we can maybe agree to disagree on some of those things that are not especially clear to us in Scripture, all right? Uh, you may have an opinion. I have an opinion. I have an interpretation. You may have a little different interpretation. And so there's some things we might hold in an open hand. But there are other things that we hold in a very closed hand. These are things that are in no way, absolutely in no way, are they negotiable to us. The inerrancy of Scripture is one. So if you come to me and say, well, you know, I think that the Bible is a collection of good religious writings, but I can't really say it is indeed the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of the living God. No, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's something that we hold in a very closed fist. The other, another one would be the deity of Jesus Christ. You have some group come knock on your door and they want to visit with you for a few minutes. They want to give you some literature. There's a litmus test that you can use to know whether they are indeed followers of Jesus Christ. Whether they, they view scripture in the same way that we do. And One of the things that you can use as a litmus test is what do they believe about the deity of Jesus Christ? Do they believe that Jesus is indeed God in the flesh? The deity of Jesus Christ. We don't see that any more clearly in Scripture than right here in John chapter 1. There was a philosopher by the name of John Stuart Mill who called Jesus a preeminent genius. Probably the greatest moral reformer and martyr who ever existed on earth. Now that sounds like a great statement, doesn't it? But I'm going to assure you, Jesus was so much more than a preeminent genius and a great moral reformer and a martyr. He is God. He is God. Make no mistake about it. In our day and in our time when doctrine and theological truth is, is minimized and sacrificed on the grounds of unity and tolerance and all of the things that are crazy in our world today, I think it's important that we as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that we nail down with certainty beliefs and hold them as essential as pillars of our faith. And one of those truths is the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. As we look closer at the deity of Jesus Christ as declared here in our text, let me point out a couple of things that speak of his deity. Think about the pre-existence of Christ. You know, I've done, I guess, over a hundred some funerals now in the course of my ministry and did one just this past week, in fact. And, you know, whenever we think of a person's life, a human being's life, we we normally think of two dates with a dash in between, right? I mean, you walk through any cemetery and you'll see uh, dates affixed to, to headstones. And, and sometimes you'll see one date and a dash, but the, there, there's not another date. That's because that person has not yet passed away. Whenever it's, it's time to do a memorial service or a funeral, then, then there are two dates generally mentioned. That's uh, the, 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 the date of a person's birth and the date of a person's death. Some would say, well, well, Pastor, we, we know that December the 25th is, is really not the date of, of our Lord's birth. And, and I would say that, that, that that's correct. I'm just doing uh, just a general basic study of, uh, of calendars and time and all of those different things. I would say that that's probably true. 
But more than that, I would say truthfully, Jesus doesn't have a beginning. You, you can't put a date on the front end of the existence of Jesus Christ. Now let's face it, most of us would say, if we're going to talk about our lives, give our testimony, I could say to you, well, I was born on July the 27th, 1966 in Dallas, Texas. And I can be real cute and say, I was born at a very young age and you know, all of those sorts of things. And you know, but, but rarely will you hear a person say, let me tell you about my life before I was born. Before the date of my birth. Now, now, if you believe, like I do, in the sanctity of life, and you have what I believe is a biblical understanding of life and, and when it begins, then, like me, you could say, well, actually, my life began nine months prior, or roughly nine months prior to the date of my birth. And that would be correct. That's why I often tell moms who are pregnant on Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day. Child hasn't been born yet, but I believe... Because I, I believe in the biblical view of life. Life begins at conception that already you're a mother. Uh, and, and there's not a mom here who's, who's carried a baby and has felt that, that movement and that life within you who would, who would disagree with that. That's a life uh, inside of me. Right? But, but, but you're not going to hear anybody say, but, but let me tell you about my life before my conception. You, you can't do that. Now, now, we could go back theologically and say, well, that our lives were planned and ordained by God before. I understand all that, but, but it's not something that we can really wrap our minds around. It's not something that we can describe. But yet, that's what you find in Jesus. He's no beginning and no ending. And that's not seen any more clearly than right here in John's gospel. The words, in the beginning, take us back to the beginning of all things as we know them. They take us back to the creation of this universe. They tell us that before all things came into existence, Jesus was. Jesus was. They don't declare that Jesus was one of the created beings or that the beginning included the beginning of his existence. No, no. These words declare to us that when all things had a beginning, Jesus was. He existed before all things came into being. In fact, the word was here may seem insignificant to you. It's actually a word that was often used for deity. It means to be or I am. I am. That should cause you to remember something. Remember when Moses was kind of arguing with God about the role that God wanted him to play as deliverer of his people Israel out from under Egyptian rule? And he's like, well, what do I say? Who do I tell them? Tell them I am. I am sent you. The self-existent one sent you. It's the same thing, same concept. So in the beginning, we see the one who had no beginning. Jesus is eternal. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 90, verse number 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So check this out. If we could walk back to the first moment of time and stand there on the edge of eternity, you would find him. If it were possible to step off of that edge and travel eons of time back into eternity, you would still find Jesus. In fact, no matter how far back into eternity you traveled, you would find him existing. There has never been a moment when he was not, and there will never be a moment when he is not. The pre-existence of Christ. 
The Word is God. But think about the person of Christ. There are two two great statements made here in in John chapter 1 about the person of Jesus Christ. It says he was with God, and it says he was God. Both of those statements speak of the person of Jesus Christ. You first take the statement that Jesus was with God. The word with literally means toward or face to face. So the idea is that Jesus and God acted together in all things. Their relationship was in all things in perfect harmony, acting as one. Then you have this second statement. Not only was he with God, it says that Jesus was God. It declares that they are one. And so when the angel announced to Mary that she would give birth to a son, he said, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. It was not a case of Jesus being a God. No, he was God. And when we talk about the Trinity, understand, we're not talking about three gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No, we're talking about one God manifested in three persons. Jesus is God. Make no mistake about it. Before the Word ever became flesh, he was God. So don't you go through this Christmas season thinking that you're celebrating somehow the beginning of Jesus Christ. Oh no. You're just celebrating his incarnation. His coming in the flesh. Jesus, the word, is God. There's a second great truth I want you to see. Very simple. The word is great. The word is great. We read in the third verse here, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. The creation of the heavens and earth testify to his greatness. His creation of all things testifies to his unlimited power. His unlimited power. It's seen in that out of nothing he created everything. Now it's hard for us to imagine Hard for us to even begin to wrap our minds around the concept of a total state of nothingness. Now, I've been in a room before that, that I would say was completely empty. But, but there was still something there. I, I, I've been in some wide open spaces where, I mean, I, I felt as if... But there was still something there. Understand what we're talking about here in John chapter 1. There was not a single sound to be heard. No whisper, no song. For there was nothing. There was not a single color to be seen. There were no hues of blues and greens. No no blends of color. There were no aromas, either bitter or sweet. There was an absolute state of nothing. But out of that state of nothingness, God simply spoke the word and all things instantly came into existence. Now, if that don't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Is that not incredible? Is that not amazing to think that God created this vast universe and everything about it? The intricacies and the design and the amazing features of this universe out of nothing. Now, mankind is pretty creative. I'll be honest, I'm amazed at the creativity of some people. How they can, how they can take a, a lump of clay and 
mold it and shape it and form it into a beautiful piece of pottery. Or something. It's just it's amazing. I, I don't have that gift. I don't have that ability. But I, I can guarantee you, if man has made something, it was out of something. It was never out of nothing. You'll, you'll not find the first potter who will say, yeah, check this out. Look at this beautiful vase that I've made. Yeah, I made that out of nothing. No, no, you didn't. You may have made it out of a, a formless lump of clay, but you didn't make it out of nothing. I was amazed to find this last week in doing some research. Slate Magazine did an interview of a, uh, of a physicist at Stanford University. This is just unbelievable to me. He said, this is what he said, that it wouldn't take much to create a universe. This is a physicist, Okay. At Stanford University, I, I mean, uh, uh, that's a pretty prestigious institution. He, he said that all that it would take to get a universe like ours started is a hundred thousandth of a gram of matter. That, that's what he, he honestly believes this. He even added in this interview that we can't rule out the possibility that our own universe was created in a lab by someone in another universe who just felt like doing it. In, in the first place, I, I, I never cease to be amazed at the so-called incredible intelligence that we find in some of our institutions of higher learning. It, it's just amazing. It's, it's no wonder that parents are just, just, I mean, just chomping at the bit to pay thirty and $40,000 a year to send their kids to these institutions of higher learning to sit at the feet of these kind of people. Amazing. You know, I would say to this individual, well, if it's so easy to come up with a universe, why don't you do it? Why don't you do? Why don't you just go into your little lab and and and, and get your, you know, hundred millionth of a piece? Of, and and why don't you create a universe? Unbelievable. The simple truth is that man, at his greatest, could never create a universe. He can do some amazing things, but it is far beyond man's ability to create something out of nothing. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. It's a declaration here of his unlimited power. It's also a declaration of his unquestionable power. Again, we read in verse number 3 that all things were made by him. But also it says that without him was not anything made that was made. So it's like John was saying, if you have questions about his power... There would not have been anything made if he had not made it. So it's not just a matter of all things existing because he made them. But if he had not made all things, there would not be anything. And again, that's one of those concepts that makes you go, I am certainly not God. (laughs) Isn't that something? I think the hymn writer expressed it well, this concept of the unquestionable power and greatness of God. When he said, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great Thou art. How great thou art. Jesus is God. Jesus is 
great. And the extent of his greatness far exceeds our understanding or our comprehension. There's a third truth I want you to see here in John chapter 1. And that is this. The word is gracious. The word is gracious. The word is God. The word is great. The word is Gracious, And again, verse number 14 here in John chapter 1 gives us uh, the, the essence of, of Christmas and what we celebrate at this time of year. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice this, full of grace and truth. Now today we're looking at the Word before He became flesh. Lord willing, next week we'll look at the word when he became flesh. And we'll uh, examine that in more detail. But today, let me remind you that the word becoming flesh is a story uh, of grace from beginning to end. You see, when we talk about grace, we're talking about what God has done for us. And, And rest assured, anything that God does for us is an act of grace. The moment that you or I start to think to ourselves, you know, I pretty much deserve that. I have an amazing family, but you know, I I pretty much deserve an amazing... No, you misunderstand uh, the the, the reality of the grace of God. We deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. And so anything and everything that God does for us is an act of grace. So when we talk about grace, we're talking about how we are undeserving of what God does. Has done. Grace simply means that we did not deserve what God did for us. But he did it anyway. A number of years ago, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were convicted of being Russian spies and uh, found guilty of treason against the United States. It was like 1951, if I remember correctly. They were later executed for their crimes. And in the summation of the end of their trial, the lawyer... Uh, animatedly said to the judge who presided over that trial, Your Honor, what my clients ask for is justice. The judge's name was Kaufman in that particular case, and Judge Kaufman calmly replied, The court has given you what you are asking for, justice. What you really want is mercy and grace. But those are not things that this court can give to you. You see, God did not give us justice, although that is what we deserved. Instead, he gave us mercy. And the word becoming flesh is a story of his grace. It's a story of mercy, the story of redemption. In that we do not get what we do deserve, but in his grace we do get something that we could never deserve. Full of grace and truth. It declares the message of his grace. You see, the very fact that the Word became flesh is a message of God's grace. A message of God's grace. Man has always made attempts to get to God. I mean, we could go all the way back to the the Garden of Eden, but you go back to the Tower of Babel. We'll we'll build a tower to God. That's humanism at its best, isn't it? What we'll do is we'll try to elevate man to God's level while at the same time bringing God down to man's level. That, that, that's humanism. Now what we see here is an act of God whereby he said, I love the world that I've created so much that I'm going to send my own son into that world. He will take on 
flesh. He will take on flesh. What a message of his grace. He, he was made flesh, came into this world to save men from their sins. And if you have any doubts this morning about God's love or his grace, you look to that manger in Bethlehem. There you see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that is the message that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. He gave. Jesus said, uh, John says here rather that he was full of grace and truth. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The word became flesh. It's a message of God's grace. And it demonstrates the measure of his grace. If you want to know the length and the breadth and the depth of God's grace, just look at the word becoming flesh. Consider just a few passages of scripture. Jesus, whom God hath appointed heir of all things, according to Hebrews 1-2, became man. Jesus, by whom he created all things, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, according to Colossians 1.16, became man. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15, became man. Jesus, the brightness of God's glory, Hebrews 1.3, became man. Jesus, so much better than the angels, according to Hebrews 1.4, became man. Jesus, in whom dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2, 9, became man. Jesus, the Son of Man without sin and the Son of God with power, became man. Jesus, head of all principalities and power, became man. Jesus, into whose hands God hath committed all judgment, according to John 5, 22, became man. Co-equal, co-essential, co-existent, co-eternal with God, having glory with God before the world was, became man. So he stepped down from the heights of deity to the depths of humanity. He gave up heaven's light for earth's darkness, heaven's grace for earth's guilt, heaven's peace for earth's strife, heaven's love for earth's hatred. He gave up heaven's wealth for earth's poverty, heaven's clothing for earth's nakedness. And heaven's life for earth's death. The word became flesh. It declares the message and demonstrates the measure of his grace. Someone has put this into words through a poem entitled, What a Night. I want to close with these words this morning. That night, when in the Judean skies the mystic star dispensed its light, a blind man moved in his sleep and dreamed that he had sight. That night, when shepherds heard the song of hosts angelic choiring near, a deaf man stirred in slumber's spell and dreamed that he could hear. That night, when were the newborn babe, the tender Mary rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night... When in the manger lay the Savior who came to save, a man moved in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. What a night when the Word was made flesh. Was made flesh. Jesus, the Word, 
is God. Jesus, the word, is great. Jesus, the word, is gracious. And aren't you thankful for the gift, the gift of Christmas? The word became flesh. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed for just a moment this morning. It's my sincere prayer and hope this morning that you personally have a relationship with the Christ of Christmas. That you'll not find yourself just going through the motions of celebrating Christmas along with the rest of this world and all of the hustle and the bustle and the craziness and the political correctness that now goes along with it. But my hope and prayer is that you personally can celebrate the relationship that you have with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says the only way that we can be right with God is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. You see, Jesus came in the flesh for a purpose. He didn't come in the flesh so that the world could just ooh and ah and all of those things that we associate with a newborn baby. No, no, he came to die. He came to die. He came to die for you and for me. Do you have a testimony this morning? Can you go back to a time when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You came to a place where you said, you know what, I, I, I can't possibly save myself. I, I can't be good enough. I can't meet the demands of holy God. And you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Him alone. If you don't have that kind of testimony, then this morning I would invite you to come. I would love to show you from the Word of God how you can know that you're in a right relationship with God, not because of anything you've done or ever could do, because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. The word became flesh. He lived among sinful men. Ultimately to go to the cross and die for sinful man. I hope and pray that you'll leave here today with a renewed and profound appreciation. For what God has done in sending his son in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. Heavenly Father, how we thank you and praise you today for your word. Lord, we thank you today that we can celebrate God in the flesh. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church. We invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near. We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.